Welcome back to another episode of Passions Are Peace podcast. Today's episode is a little heavy, so if talk of mental health is a trigger for you, then please proceed with extreme caution. Today's episode is dedicated to all my beautiful friends I've lost to suicide. I cannot stress this enough. Please talk to someone. Your feelings are important. You are valid and you matter. Before I get into this episode, I do want to talk about the stigma that has been brought around mental health with the internet, social media. I think people have this perception that if they feel sad or cry one time, they want to self-diagnose themselves with depression. But it's normal to feel sad. It's normal to cry, you know, without diagnosing yourself with something as serious as depression. So... I want to try and remind you guys to be aware with what you post, be aware of other people, and I know you are not responsible for other people's feelings, but everything could be a trigger. And people who post um, their hospital visits, their cuts, their, you know, it will show others, like, look at this attention that this person's getting, look at the love, the validation, the friends that come to see them everything and they will they will go and do the same action so that they will feel that same love the validation they can feel like they're important and I know that you shouldn't be responsible for other people but the suicide rates are out of control we need to learn how to be more aware you I can I just and I know I'm repeating myself but I cannot make this point any more clear I know you're not responsible. I know you don't want to be responsible for other people, but unfortunately, that's how it is with social media. So please find some compassion and really pay attention to what you're doing. I recently saw an article about suicide rates in Idaho. Many of you know I currently reside in this state, and and it comes as no surprise, unfortunately, that suicide is a problem a huge problem in this state. According to a spreadsheet I found on healthandwelfare.idaho.gov, in 2016, there were 44,965 deaths caused by suicide in the U.S. That is an average person of every... That is an average one person every single 12 minutes. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for Idahoans from the ages of 15 to 34 and is really common in males up to the age of 44. Between 2013 and 2017, 110 school children from Idaho ranging in ages 6 to 18 died by suicide. From 2013 to 2017, the Idaho suicide deaths by gender were 78% male and 22% female. These statistics are heartbreaking. I knew it was bad, but I had no idea that it was that bad, especially in males. Guys, you don't have to be tough. You don't have to be this tough guy that everybody 
says you have to be just because we built this kind of I don't even know what to classify it as we built this idea of men not being able to cry of men having to be strong but that's not true you guys have every right to feel every single emotion I don't care if people say that you're not supposed to because you're a boy cry if you have to go talk to somebody if you have to there is nothing wrong with that I've always been really reluctant on sharing the small details of my story. I have shared it, but I've never really gone into depth with it. And I know I'm going to be recording this with a lump in my throat. I'm sorry, it's a really hard subject. It's it's a sensitive subject, but I want you guys to be able to see that talking about it can be beneficial for you and other people too. I always I always knew something was off with me ever since I was young. I used to sit in my room with my siblings and when something as simple as a sad song would come on, I would overthink about everything and I would just cry. I don't remember a lot of things from my childhood, but one thing, one memory I strongly remember was I was laying in my bed and my sister was playing a song, I think it's called If You're Not The One by Daniel Bedingfield. And I remember just crying. And in that moment, I remember that I was thinking about death. For some reason, when I was younger, I would always think about people dying. My family members, friends, my parents, and I don't know why. But I would imagine scenarios in my life where a family member would pass away and I would just cry. And I never understood why a child would do that. I remember always feeling sad. Something else that always stood out something else that stood out to me when I was younger was I remember back in the day when MTV used to play music videos. I turned on the TV and the phrase How to Save a Life came on. The song was released in 2005, so I would have been about 8 years old, and I remember just standing there and listening to the song and crying and crying. And I don't know if Baby Cindy knew that this song would have so much significant meaning in the future because I lost somebody in 2015 to suicide and the day after I heard that song like four different times on the radio and I just cried and cried and I felt like I was little eight-year-old me listening to that song for the very first time in the living room just crying my eyes out. I had a lot of abandonment issues as a child, not because my parents left me or anything dramatic like that, but because at the time they didn't have residency in the U.S., so there was always this fear of them getting sent back to Mexico. There was, it was always in the back of my mind, like, if they went out to the store and what if they never came back? So I spent a lot of my childhood worrying about what was going to become of my family if I didn't have one of my parents with me. So anytime they left anywhere, I would cry until they came back because I was always so worried. So they would always have to take me everywhere. The sadness became more significant in middle school. Family problems had sprung and we always struggled financially. My dad was the only one who worked and my mom stayed home and took care of us. They raised seven kids on barely $20,000 a year. So you can imagine my older siblings had to get jobs 
uh, early ages to help out. And as soon as we hit like the first grade, we would work in the fields every summer to survive the following school year. But we managed the best we could. I always knew that my sadness was, it was always there. And I tried hard to ignore it, but I could never tell anyone. Growing up in a Hispanic household, if you were sad or you wanted to stay in bed, you know, we're told to get over it. We're told to get up and stop being lazy and go clean something because there's still this stigma that depression isn't real. So it's so hard to speak about how I was, how you're feeling to somebody who doesn't believe in it's a real sickness. That's like trying to explain Jesus to an atheist. My high school years were probably the worst of my life, not because I was bullied or boys didn't like me or my chest wasn't big enough or I had a big nose, but because my depression was something I could not shake. I couldn't get rid of it. I was this anxious, sad, afraid teenager whose home life wasn't the best. And on top of that, I had to deal with toxic relationships throughout that time. I had to deal with um, rumors with people coming at me because of these to- toxic relationships, and that is an entire episode all on its own. But if you are young and you are in a relationship with somebody who does not validate you, who does not validate your feelings, or has cheated on you, or anything, then get out of that relationship, even if people come for your throat because you left them. Do not let them victimize you. Do not let them make you feel bad for making decisions for your mental health. And I am stressing on this because I still hold a super big grudge for all those women who came after me for protecting my mental health when I was in a very toxic relationship. If you guys don't know nothing about the story or nothing about the relationship, then keep your nose on your face and leave people alone because you don't know what they're going through. I dealt with high school the best I could, but my junior year kind of spiraled out of control. I lost somebody I loved to suicide and I was a wreck the day it happened. I remember I was crying on the couch and my parents got home and all my dad told me was to get over it. I was made to go out the next day like nothing happened. I didn't know what to say or who to talk to because I wasn't allowed to grieve. I don't know why you would tell your child to get over it, but that's, that is something I just try to push off to the side. My life continued to stumble down and I found it really hard to focus in school and at work. Uh, Personal relationships crumbled, family crumbled, and I couldn't control this downward spiral I was going through. I was so lost. I would work at my fast food job till like 2, 3 in the morning, and then I would go to school at 7 just to keep myself busy so I wouldn't have to be alone in my head. I would fall asleep in class, and my once straight A's turns into F's, and I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. There was a lot of self-harm involved. I hated myself, I hated who I was, and I didn't know why I was this person. And then on top of that, you have people making you feel guilty for leaving your relationship when you already want to die. My senior year, I cracked. I finally hit my breaking point, and I honestly, I didn't want to fight anymore. 
So I cracked open a bottle of pills and I drank them all. I remember this day I was drawing on my walls because I was that person who would draw on the walls and my mom was always so mad at me for it. Um, And this is going to be so cheesy, but I literally wrote, it's okay to not be okay. And then I just got this overwhelming feeling of nothingness. I felt nothing. So I put the paintbrush down. I wrote down some words on a paper and I downed a bottle of pills and I have no idea why nothing happened to me because I was told at the facility I ended up going to that after six of those pills, I should have died. It was until a few months later that I finally got the guts to speak out and admit that I needed help. I was taken into a facility. A lot of relationships with family had been broken at this point because they disliked a boy that I was talking to at the time. And although they hated him, he got me through a hard time. So I'll always be grateful for that. While I was in the facility, my doctors kept a close eye on me. We had sessions every day. It was like twice a day. And then you would have to go to these classes. And I didn't realize it then, but they wrote down everything. A few days ago, actually, I got the courage to write. I got the courage to ask for my therapy notes, and I was so shocked at what they thought of me, about what they wrote down about me, because I didn't think they were paying attention. They noticed how I couldn't look people in the eye when I talked to them, how I have this giggle when I get nervous or when I talk about topics that shouldn't be funny. And it's not that they're funny, but I, it's like, The weird humor that this generation has made up, like, oh, I really want to die, and they turn it into a meme, you know? And and they noticed everything, how I sat, how I carried myself. They are like, she sits with her shoulders slouched, so she obviously is not confident. She's not proud of who she is. They noticed how I... um, like I'll wiggle my fingers or I have to be doing something with my hands because I'm always so anxious or I'll have to like twiddle my hair or play with my headphones when I have them in my hand or I look down when I walk because I mean you guys I really hate myself I don't know how to express that and uh and there it is that nervous laugh I don't know how to I'm I'm really working on loving myself but I I don't know how to carry myself as if I do love myself because it's hard to do something when you really don't feel it in your heart. They had diagnosed me with bipolar disorder and chronic depression and they wrote down about how times I would get really manic or I would have these episodes of where I just got so angry, angry at my life situations, at things happening that I couldn't control and I was so surprised. This was so surprising to me because I honestly just thought I was crazy. But here I was in this facility and they cleared it up that I wasn't crazy. I had an actual illness. And it's so helpful to hear that it's not all in your head, that this is a real thing, that it's a chemical imbalance and it's normal. It's hard, but it's normal. 
So I was put on a lot of different medications to try and stabilize my mood. And I feel like they made me worse. There were ones that made me woozy and I would fall every time I got up. There were ones that made me cry for days. There were some that made me so hyper. Like they they log everything. They log how, uh, how many pills you're taking, the milligrams. They will check your symptoms. So in one day, in one little log, it was like, I was myself, my normal self without pills. And then the next day it was like, uh, Cindy has not stopped crying in two days. Could be result of the medication. And then a little bit later it'd be like, um, I don't remember what they called me. Oh yeah. They're like, (laughs) sorry, this is kind of, I'm dumb. They're like, patient is, uh, actually making eye contact today. She is a little hyperactive. She's bouncy and giggly and could be causes, causes of the symptoms of the medication or whatever. And this was super stressful. This was so stressful. Finding a medication for me is so, it was a really hard time because you have to go through the ups and downs. You're like a guinea pig and They just keep giving you pills until you feel, quote, normal. I was put on so many different medications when I was released from the facility, and I only took it, I only took the medication for about maybe two months before I made the decision to not take them because the way I felt on them was so much worse than what I felt off of them. And off of them, I feel horrible, but on them, I feel even more horrible. So just because it doesn't work for me, it didn't work for me, didn't mean it won't work for you. If medication is something that you have to take, then take it. I hate when people make it like a weird thing just because you have to take pills, you know? Well, they take pills for pain, Tylenol, Excedrin for migraine. It's just another pill. I haven't taken any medication for my illness and I still have days where I slip, where I want to lay in bed and cry and the world caves in and I feel helpless, but I keep going. Not for me, but for all the people who would be sad if I was no longer here. I stay for you guys, so we can say that we made it, even after everything, so my partner can continue to wake up to me, so my nieces and nephews don't have to see their aunt in a coffin. And so my few but loyal friends don't have to lose somebody else. My illness will never be greater than the love I have for all of you. And I hope you stay. If not for me, then for your dog or your cat or even your lizard who gets excited to see you every time you walk through the door. Stay for the sunsets and the shooting stars that you haven't seen yet. For all the new songs that you have left to sing at the top of your lungs. Stay for the concerts, the car shows, the friends, the memories. Stay for yourself because you deserve to live a life that you are proud of. No matter how dark your days get, I hope you know that there are still days where the sun will come back out and you'll look at your life and be glad it's not over. I know it's hard, but I believe in you. If you or someone you love is struggling with a mental illness, please make sure to share the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Please talk about your feelings, check on your loved ones, hold on to your family, love your cat and your dog, stare at the sky when the sun's going down, dye your hair a crazy color, 
get a tattoo, just live. Do whatever the fuck it is you want to do because you deserve it. So just please, please, please live for me, for you, for everyone. I love you so much and so do other people. You are worthy of a life you are going to be proud of. And I hope that you remember that every day you feel like you aren't worthy of life, that you are, that there is something greater and that you deserve all the happiness in the world. So go out and get it. With all that being said, I hope you know how important you are, how proud I am of you for continuing to fight even though it's hard. You are not your sadness, you are not your illness, and you are not a bad person for wanting to die or for being sick. You are worthy always. Thank you for listening and sticking with me till the end. I know it was rough because I sounded like I wanted to cry the whole time, but hey, we're here and we're at the end of it. But please check on your loved ones, check on your friends, check on your parents, check on everybody. I want to give a shout out to my internet best friend, Leslie. Thank you for all you do, your support. I am seriously so blessed to have you. I've never met you and you have made such a big impact on my life and I will be forever grateful for you. Thank you for all you do and for putting up with with me. (laughs) So go give her a follow on Instagram at underscore that weirdo and that is weirdos with double O. Thank you a million times, Leslie. I love you. You're awesome. Remember, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Passions or Peace. Send me a Gmail and let's talk about having you on the show at passionsorpeace at gmail.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Passions or Peace. And if you're feeling generous, you can donate to the Patreon at Passions or Peace. My snap is CineMarie1116. I love you guys. Stay peaceful, stay passionate, and remember that you are worthy of everything. I love you and I'll see you on Friday.